calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to another edition of IGN Unfiltered, our monthly interview series where I sit down with the best, the brightest, the most notable and interesting gaming minds and in me. the entire industry. Uh, I am joined by uh, the great Vince Zampella. Uh, you're great. You've made some great games. We're going to talk about all of those. Vince, you, of course, uh, you go back, let's see, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault. We'll get to that. That was, uh, right. uh, and of course, on to founding Infinity Ward and the Call of Duty franchise, little thing you may have heard of, and now on to Respawn Entertainment and the Titanfall series, as well as another little Star Wars thing That's on right. the back burner, too. So, uh, Vince, thanks for sitting down with me. We're here at your studio, by the way. Thanks for having yeah, us. Got good we details. Appreciate, yeah, yeah, it's a nice backdrop. But I want to start, I always love to know, I mean, before the billion-dollar franchise, to me, the... The origin story is always super interesting. I think that's why superhero movies keep doing it. So I'm curious, where did you actually get your start in the games industry? Because uh, in doing my research on you, the first game I could find that was credited to you was a PC first-person shooter called Vigilance, published by Sega in 1998. Is that research accurate? No, or where, no. Where, okay, then where, uh, where does the Vince Zampella story begin in the industry? All right, so let's see. Uh, my first job in the industry was Game Tech in South Florida. They were in North Miami. Didn't they make, like, the Jeopardy video yeah, game right. and Wheel of Fortune video game that's and right. stuff? Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, Family Feud, among others. You know, yeah. we had uh, Brutal Paws of Fury and... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I can't even remember some of the games. That's, that's such a long time ago now. And what, what was your uh, role in those early projects? Um, I was producer slash customer service slash test. It was kind of like everything. Yeah, everything. Whatever Everybody needs to be everything. done, you do it. Uh, did you always want to work in games? Because uh, did, you went to art school, is that correct? I didn't, no. You didn't? See, no. I'm, all, I'm off to a <laughs> terrible start. Um, I think... I never realized it was a job. You know, I've always been a gamer. I've always played, you know, RPGs, you know, pen and paper RPGs, board games, you know, video games. It never occurred to me that that's something that people will pay you to do. Yeah. So um, the opportunity came up to work at Game Tech, and it, I immediately, like, switched into it and was like, well, yeah. Did you game as a kid on uh, either NES, Atari, which one of those? Uh, yeah, Atari. I had Atari 2600 all the way. You know, I had a Pong system, actually, before that at some point, and then... 
I had the Atari 2600. I had a uh, Commodore 64. Yeah. I had what other systems that I had? PCs, of course, at some point. And any childhood favorite games? Any ones that stand out from from the, your youth? You know, Donkey Kong is for whatever reason and. It just it stood out to me as a game that I just loved. I would spend hours at the arcade playing Donkey Kong. Yeah. Well, it's hard to argue. It's a classic. It's a classic. It's a classic. It is, it's, a, it's a wonderful game. Uh, so then, you know, big step up from game tech. We fast forward. You joined 2015, Inc., as a development director on Well, Metal I actually, there were some steps in between there. Okay. So I went from, uh, from game tech to Atari, actually. Atari? Yeah, I worked at Atari for a while working on some of their Jaguar and PC games. Ja- Jaguar. See, I, I had a Jaguar. <laughs> yeah. I had Aliens vs. Predator is like yeah. my only positive memory of that system. So. I worked on NBA Jam. Really? For Jaguar. And Supercross 3D. Um, yeah. I, I worked on Jaguar CD games, too. And there was only, I think they only manufactured like 5,000 of the CD wow. units. So I have one at home. I should bring it in. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. Yeah. It. So you don't get to, they're, they're pretty few and far between at this point. So then, uh, then on the 2015, or we no, got a couple more stops. Got a couple still. more stops in between there. Um, I went to Panasonic. Panasonic. After that, Boy, I know you you know how to find the uh, sort of obscure <laughs> players in that early portion of your career. Yeah, I guess so. That was uh, Panasonic Interactive Media was the division, huh. and they did. Uh, they were at that point when I joined, they were ramping down the 3DO. Mm-hmm. So they still had some 3DO games in production. Some I had to finish. Some I had to kill. Um, and then they were making the transition into be try to be multi-platform. Right. Yeah, the, the notoriously expensive 3DO That's console right. back then. It's uh, another one for the for the archives. If That's you've got right. one of those sitting around, that's a good one to hang on to. I too. might actually. I, I need to look. <laughs> I need to open up the boxes in my garage that have been sitting dormant. Um, uh, so you then, did, then no, then no, I went still... to Sega. Okay. And Vigilance. That's that... where I That's right. Vigilance <laughs> was at Sega. This was Sega Soft. Yeah. So. So moving moving up the ranks a little bit, just yeah, kind of getting some called, experience under your belt. Yeah, it was we worked with uh, a guy named Larry Pacey, who I partnered with now on the mobile stuff. Uh, he and I worked there together, and he and I, you know, knew each other from growing up. We, mm-hmm. you know, game together for a long time. Um, worked on a game called Ten Six, um, which was the million player game. We never had a million though. <laughs> um, Vigilance, and then there was a game called Skies. Okay. And Skies never ended up shipping. Because it was a massive multiplayer, and the budget went out of control, and that's when Sega was cutting some costs. Right. So, um, then I went to 2015. Okay, and that's where the modern Vince Zampella story <laughs> begins. I think it's fair to say because that is where uh, you were working on. Of course, you led the team on Medal of Honor: Allied Assault, which which really was the first significant sort of historic history based first person shooter. I think it's. It's fair to say. Hmm. Maybe. Or at least kicked off. If, if it wasn't the first, it sort of really got things going. Um, bef- I mean, it was definitely one of the more popular, yeah. So uh, this, this, there was a rumor on that that like Spielberg approached you guys to, to do it? Um, well, so how it happened was Spielberg owned Am- you know, Am- Amblin DreamWorks Interactive. Yeah. That was purchased by EA at some point. I'm not sure what the timing was there. So EA was working on uh, Medal of Honor for the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. They were going to do a PlayStation 2 version. They wanted to do, they approached us to do a port of the PlayStation 2 version to PC. Right. We said, how about we just make a wholly unique game because we can do something better. 
Yeah, the, a, a PS2 to PC port probably wouldn't have gone over super yeah. well at that point with where the first-person shooter genre was, I that's imagine. That's right. So you, you say, uh, and you got them to, because that's probably going to cost a lot more money than just a port job, right? So you guys got them to say yes to that. It would cost more, but not, I mean, at that point we were a small team. We were only, you know, we finished that game with around 22, 23 people, I think. Wow. So, I mean, we were very small, you know, hardworking team. So, uh, my research has been awful so far. <laughs> this, um, I'm already. I like this though. That the internet no, doesn't human. have me pinned. I'm human. It's fine. <laughs> uh, is that is 2015 where you met uh, your future longtime collaborator Jason West? No, actually, uh, when we were working on that game Skies at Sega, we partnered with Paradigm Entertainment down in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, Jason worked there. Okay, gotcha. Did I mean? Did you guys hit it off right away? Um. No. No. No, there was actually some friction. I was the publisher, they were the developer, so there's always that, you know, that Overlord. friendly yeah. fiction, we'll call it, you know? Um, and, but I appreciated what he did. Yeah. You know, so I think it worked on some level. And then uh, when I moved to 2015, I called him up to try to get him to come out and, and work with us. And uh, I mean, then we'll, we'll get to that. That's sort of led to Call of Duty, and we'll get to that, but... Um, I mean, I mean, Jason. Now he's he's sort of. Uh, I mean, he's he was at Respawn. He founded Respawn with you, and then right. uh, sort of seemingly walked away, and has actually hasn't been heard from since. And I mean, do you guys still talk at all? We don't. No, that's. I'm sorry to hear that. It's too bad. It's but, unfortunate. Well, you soldier on here at Respawn, um, but uh, so actually, you know what? Let me stop for a second. When when Jason sort of walked away. You know, you guys had had uh, had the, the the big lawsuit with Activision, and uh, the you know it did get settled, and we're going to get to all of this more later. But sounds like know, fun. Oh, it'll be that's <laughs> it'll be it'll be a blast. Uh, but were you tempted to walk away too? I mean, you know, it, terms of your settlement were never disclosed, and there I could only find various conflicting reports. But you know, it's a multi-billion-dollar franchise, and uh, were, were you tempted to kind of after everything that happened? With Call of Duty, to just say, you know what? Maybe Jason's onto something. Maybe I just want to retire now too. No, I've never really seriously considered retiring, yeah. just because it's it's what I do. This is what I know. It's what I love. You know, I, I'm happy doing this. I, I think I'd be bored. Good. Well, we're, I mean, we're after Titanfall and now Titanfall Two. We're we're lucky to still have you around. Well, thank you. Uh, but let me back up to to Medal of Honor. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere as far as people were weren't expecting it to be the incredible shooter that it ended up being. I mean, I think you know, it had some expectations, but it obviously exceeded those. What, what made Allied Assault good, in your opinion, looking back? Hmm. I mean, for us, it was about taking something with historical context and bringing it to life in a way that you know, made the world believable and printed draws you into this story and into this world. It was about, you know, not just what's in front of you, but the world around you. We put things, you know, off in the background, you know, explosions and things happening and planes flying. And, you know, it was, it was more of immersing players kind of in a story. And I think, you know, we were able to do that more successfully than, you know, than some other games. So uh, from there you, you leave and form Infinity Ward. That's Is that right. correct? Uh, was, was it to, did, were you... Was that just sort of a I want to st- start my own studio thing, or was uh, 
what, or what, were you sort of was there anything going down at 2015 where you you, you thought man maybe this maybe this isn't the best best place to grow my career? Yeah, I mean there was 2015 some... not not with us anymore. I don't think I at don't least, think so either. If it is, it's certainly not in its you know at the status it, it was. Um, yeah, there was some tensions kind of at the studio. It was obvious at some point that, you know, people were going to walk away. And uh, we decided to all walk away together because, you know, we had a good, cohesive team. Yeah. And it just felt right for us to work together again. And thus enters Infinity Ward. That's right. Uh, what, can you tell me where Call of Duty came from? Uh, based on what you just said, was it... Was it an FU to Medal of Honor, or is there a, <laughs> is there a, that is that good of a story in it, or a, a little bit? I yeah. mean, so originally when we formed Infinity War, we were working with EA. We had a deal to do the sequel to Medal of Honor. Um, Allied Assault did so well that EA wanted to pull it in house, so they tried to force us to come be part of EA. We didn't want to do that. They tried to strong arm ourselves. This sounds a little bit. familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Um, once they tried to strong arm us, we decided, you know, we don't want to be part of EA as a team. We decided, yeah. you know, that wasn't what we set out to do. Um, we ended up going and working with Activision, and yeah, Call of Duty was kind of a response to that. <sighs> That's well, you got the last laugh <laughs> on that one. Uh, so you've created two. Major, major first-person shooter. For, well, I mean, three once we get to the present day. But uh, well, to be fair, Medal of Honor was already going. It was a true, PlayStation yeah. One I mean, game. It's it wasn't the you know it, because of Allied Assault, it went on to live yes. a, a m- very long and pretty healthy life up through. You know, I'm, I think Allied Assault was an amazing game. I'm something it was I great. Was I immensely it, proud of. Remember it very, very fondly. Um, so, all right. So, if there was a little bit of that, a l- little bit of the. Uh, Desire for revenge, shall we say? But, but you know, the fact that it was another historically based first-person shooter. I mean, it's right. not you know uh, a simulation, but it's you know based in based in uh, history. Was uh, did you just think that with metal with Allied Assault you were onto something with with a shooter that's that's set in history and that the sort of the marriage of those two things? Yeah, I think it's it, on one hand, it's just I mean a great story. World War II is just clear. Minds of good and evil. Yeah, it's great stories. If you look at you know the just the outfits, especially you know of like the Nazi Party, like they they have the amazing outfits. There, you know, the scenery is fantastic. It's all over the world. It's you know there's such great stories that come out of World War II. There's just you know the subject matter is just so great to work with. And then you get the historicalness of it, where you can look at some of these stories and say this actually happened. And you get to play yeah. something that actually happened. Now, it's not exactly as it would have gone down. It's sure. Like you said, it's not a simulation. It's meant to be authentic, not you know, exactly realistic, not a simulation. But just to be able to go to these places that you've heard of, that you've seen movies about, and, and interact with it, it's, just, it's such an amazing experience. So uh, you guys, with, when Call of Duty certainly, uh, it established once it got to, to Call of Duty 2 on the console and then really sort of took off it, you guys made 60 frames per second a sort of core design element from a, from a technical perspective. Because, I mean, on the console side, uh, that just wasn't done. I mean, uh, Halo was huge. Uh, Rainbow Six was thriving. Those were 30 frames per second, mostly presumably due to technical limitations on the consoles. But, but you guys really said, no, it's, it's going to be 60 frames. What went into that decision? I'm curious. 
it's just kind of a mantra of the team that it's it, you know animation looks better, the game plays better, the controls are smoother. You know, it's it's just the game feels so much better at 60. You do sacrifice a little bit on the visual side, yeah. But for what you get in terms of the game quality, it's worth it. Was it an easy decision for you and the team, or, or is it something that you guys agonized over for a while? No, I mean you always question it when you look at you know could we make something look better or can we make it play better? You, you know you question it sometimes, but you know we, it wasn't agonizing now. Uh, now the original game was big, but as I started to, to get into it, really seemed to rocket upwards when it came to the Xbox 360 uh, as a launch title for for uh, for 360. Did you expect? That sort of the, the stratosphere, yeah. the, the the roller coaster ride to really take off. That I mean, it was the first game was was very very well received on PC, mm-hmm. but boy, on 360, that's when that's when it all seemed to really start to kick in. Yeah, I mean, you always hope for that level of success. You know, you dream of it, but you know, we had at one point like an 80 percent attach rate to the 360 at launch, which is it's just unbelievable. So, no, I don't think you're ever prepared for you know for when it actually hits you. When uh, you know, so that that's huge. It's a launch title, and then what people I think most people know, or at least most hardcore gamers know, is at that point uh, Activision doubles down on the franchise. They have Treyarch doing uh, the off-year games while, when you guys are are in development. So there are two studios, and so your next game isn't Call of Duty Three, but Call of Duty Four: Modern right. Warfare, which that's when things, of course really got nuts uh, success-wise. Did yeah, clearly there was another team in the mix there, too, a team that came out, one of the Medal of Honor teams um, came out of EA and formed a studio to do a Call of Duty game. Did it? In between. Yeah, I oh, think did? it was... Oh, the uh, Big Finest, Red one? Was that the... No, that was, I think it was Finest Hour. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So that's, there were, there have been a lot of Call of There's Duty games. a lot of Call of Duty games. But, uh... Yeah, so when we get to Call of Duty 4, obviously the big change, bye-bye World War II, we're into modern warfare. Talk, can you walk me through, do you remember a lot about that decision? Because I would have to imagine that was discussed a lot. Because you've got a, a good thing going in World War II, uh, especially even as Treyarch shipped their game, it's continuing in World War II. Leave it all behind, though. I think the discussion wasn't necessarily internally at Infinity Ward. We wanted to move on. We wanted to do something different. You know, yeah. that was the third World War II game we'd done in a row. We were ready to change it up and do something a little different. It, the discussion, you know, became between us and Activision of, you know, should we switch? Like you said, it's a good thing. Right. Do you want to change the formula? And we felt really strongly. So we just kind of had to soldier on and say, this is the game that we want to do. Did you get pushback from Activision? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, clearly you won, but uh, was it a was it a hard fought battle? Or I mean, you'd think that they would trust you after you've created this big <laughs> mega franchise. But I guess maybe that's uh, publishers don't always see it. Like that you way. said, it's change is hard. It's it's risky, yeah. and they like you know they have stockholders that they have to report to, and they want to keep the formula going as consistently as possible. Do you ever now? You know, it's after. Modern Warfare is nine years ago at this point when, when again, I mean, one was great, two was huge, and then four was was stratospheric. Do you ever stop and just maybe driving around, uh, driving to work, do you ever stop and think, I made a billion-dollar franchise? Like, does that ever, is that ever a thought that, that just goes into your mind, or is it just a either a part of your past or just too even surreal to process? 
No, it's it's such kind of a part of common culture nowadays that, you know, like I'll just be watching TV or a movie or something like that and they talk about Call of Duty like it's, you know, like, oh, everybody knows Call of Duty. That's when it, like, hits you like, wow. You know, to be part of something that is just, you know, so well-known and so out there in the world is just, it's it's a little unnerving, you know? Were you... Uh, you know, the, it was really, I mean, the single player, the campaign was great. Uh, there were so many just big moments in it. But really, multiplayer, I think, was the, the key to that game uh, becoming legendary. And the, the perk system and the leveling system, the, the progression was, was, unhur- was just not a part of first-person shooter multiplayer at that time. Were you guys expecting it to take off the way it did? Again, I think you you have that dream of you know the game being popular, and but you never know. You're, I don't think you're ever ready for that level of success where it just becomes, you know, it's kind of it kind of took over. It was the game that now everybody had to buy every year because your friends were all playing it, and you it's just it's a given. So you no, I don't think anyone's ever ready for that. Like what, when was there ever a moment for you where uh, I don't know if you're out at a mall, like maybe you pop into a GameStop and somebody recognized? Was there was there ever a moment where it just sort of hit you of how big Call of Duty had become? Yeah, I think it happens, you know, from time to time. I think even, you know, even to today, you know, or something, there'll be, I see it somewhere or I see it mentioned, you know, from people that you wouldn't think would know games at all, you know? Yeah. Or if I, I'll talk to people and, you know, I'll tell them what I do and they say, oh, I don't really know video games. Call of Duty? Oh, of course <laughs> I know Call of Duty. It's kind of like, like it's, it's reached such a level. Yeah. That, uh, can you take me back? So, uh, you know, we get to Modern Warfare 2, also enormous, that just builds on the success of Modern Warfare 1. Uh, things are bigger than ever. Uh, is there pressure at that point? In just, I'm talking about just internally with yourselves, forgetting about Activision or, or the public or anywhere else. Are you guys thinking, because that's, you know, you, you come into work and you're on to your next project, which at that point is Modern Warfare 2, and Modern Warfare has taken off. Are you guys sitting around going, what do we do now? How do we top this? No, I think, you know, when you're kind of developing a game, it's very creative. A lot of ideas come out. You have a lot of things that you kind of get to and you can do really well and you hone them into this experience. And there's just naturally a lot of things left on the table that you didn't have time to explore or didn't yeah. get to yet. Or So I think you just you finish up one game, especially, you know, being a sequel, you just have a hundred ideas just already ready to go that you're just thinking, how can I push this in? What can I, you know, make this, how can I make this work? So I think you start off with like a real hunger for the next thing. How can I get there? Do you get, uh, so when, when you're starting on that, do you now have basically, not that you didn't before, but do you have like ultra carte blanche from as far as the budget goes? Can you just kind of ask for anything and get it and be able to, you know, does have a little even more freedom than you may have before? I don't know because we never really approached it like that. We were always very strict with, you know, with our, what our budget was and our time frame. It yeah. was, you know, we didn't overspend. You know, we, went, we made very cost-effective games because our team was relatively small and we got them done on time. Yeah, every two years, like clockwork, you guys were, you guys did do it, get, get a polished, excellent game out. Yeah. And it's I funny. think, you know, as things... As time goes on and on, the games get bigger and bigger. There's a lot more assets that you need to create and a lot more, you know, so the games have gotten bigger, the teams have gotten bigger. A thing that, uh, that I always kind of cracked up at looking at the fine print on, on uh, your Call of Duty games is 
up until your last one, up and up through Modern Warfare 2, there were it was actually based on the Quake 3 engine, right? I mean, I'm sure you guys had pretty much gutted everything, but as a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The whole thing started as a, as a licensed Quake 3 engine game? That's right. Up in, I mean, even Modern Warfare 2 shipped with, <laughs> with some of that in there. What, uh, I mean, I guess was, was kind of id, the, the id software tech the, the obvious choice back then? I guess it was sort of, did you consider Unreal or any of the other ones when you're, when you're building Call of Duty? You know, I think a lot of our guys came from a Quake modding background, and we had worked with you know, that engine yeah. in the past, so it just it made sense for us to go with it. It so, was, you know, a, a good engine to modify. It was fast. It right. was, you know, it just felt good. Did uh, So was John Carmack uh, lining his pockets every time you guys shipped a, a billion-dollar Call of Duty game just with, a, with his, like, just his little, his little piece? Um, we had <laughs> a pretty good deal. At some point, we just bought the engine out. Yeah. And, you know, they made some money, as they should. Sure. Uh, it was a fantastic tech, and it helped us get the game done. Makes sense. So, uh, so then in Modern Warfare 2, then, of course, we get to 
the the uh, very newsworthy event that you found yourself wrapped up in, and that was your last day at Infinity <laughs> War. Um, can you can you take me back to your last day and and tell me a little bit about it? I mean, was mm. it was it expected? Was it uh, I don't know? Just, yeah, I, I just want to kind of turn the floor over to you and see if you know it's been a while. I'm, I'm wondering because I think people. I, I'm certainly curious what that's what that was like to go through for you. Yeah, that was a while ago now, six, seven years, right? Um, expected, yes and no, I guess. You know, you kind of in the back of your head, you know, it's this is things aren't going well. Yeah, but it's always a bit of a surprise when it comes to that level, you know. So we're all we're, so. I mean, the the reports were that you were ushered out of the building. Out of Activision, we actually went down to Activision headquarters to meet with them, and, and then, we were ushered out of there, and we were not allowed to go back to Infinity Ward. Wow! So, uh, did you were you expecting it? Like I said, it was you know it's possible, but it's still unbelievable when it actually happens. It's still kind of you know stunning. When uh, in the aftermath of that, did did a lot of developer friends reach out to you? With support, or is it kind of uh, Vince is a little radioactive right now? Maybe I should maybe I should stay away. I'm... No, there was a lot of support. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of people that were. You know, I think some people just wanted to find out what happened and yeah. see if it was true. And some people were, you know, being thoughtful and offering support as well. Did I would actually expect? Uh, did a lot of publishers pick up the phone and call you and thinking, hey, if if <laughs> Vince Zampella and potentially his his crew at Infinity Ward are free agents? These guys just have created a billion-dollar franchise. I should sign these guys up. I mean, do, do you, is your phone ringing off the hook? Yeah, we, we received uh, quite a lot of calls. So uh, that was very, <laughs> very happy to see that. D- does that, I mean, does it even make you feel better at that point, or is it just... It does, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does, good. Yeah. Because I, I would think, I mean, uh, I talked to Marty O'Donnell on this show about uh, his, you know, he, he was in embroiled in a lawsuit with with his very longtime employer uh, Bungie and he talked about the sort of stress of that yeah. uh, did, how did you deal with the I mean what was it stressful for you or, did, or were you did you kind of just does, do the lawyers deal with the stress or how, how was <laughs> that situation for you personally yeah of course it's stressful you know you're you lose your job control over kind of what you've been doing it's you know I mean in this case a job is most of your life you know you yeah. you put so much into it so yeah, it's it's definitely devastating. I mean, are you, uh, are, are you is is there a lot of anger? Are you do you go see a therapist? Do you do you just get out of town for a while? Like I'm just, I mean, I I I'm, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to pry or be, you know, no, invasive. I'm please. just, it's it's such a, it's almost just out of a movie or out of a soap opera that I'm kind of curious, like how a, you know, I've known you for a long time since obviously well before all that happened, and I'm just kind of curious, like how. How you go? Th- how you sort of deal with that personally? Yeah, I think. Well, what ended up happening was, you know, we immediately went into, you know, talking to the lawyers, and we filed the lawsuit a few days later, and then we started talking to publishers, and you know, Seamus was my agent at CAA at the time, and he was talking Seamus to all the publishers. Blackley, yeah, the yep. creator of the original Xbox, right. who went on to do a lot of things, including representing uh, video right. game creators. So, uh, you know, he was pushing to get things going. Like everything was just like. Went like I think I had a day off, yeah, and then it went straight into you know filing a lawsuit, getting a new company going, talking to publishers, having all these meetings, flying around to talk to different people. So it was like I had no time to really 
process. Wow. So you don't even you don't even kind of just like <laughs> go out of town or it just or you, there's no time to, for yourself to process this. Nope. It's just straight. Do you I, think- me- I meant to take a break at some point, and I think I will. I haven't yet, <laughs> but I think I will maybe uh, after we ship Titanfall two. I mean, do you? Uh, would you have any advice if, for yourself? Like, if you could go back in time now, do you, do you, would you have any advice for yourself on managing it, or do you feel like you kind of got through it okay? I think I got through it okay. I mean, sometimes a break sounds nice, but other times maybe that's, you know, what, are you just going to sit around and be miserable and right. worry about what's going to happen? Right. Or you can just get up and make things happen. Which you did. Uh, so. you, you, uh, you started Respawn pretty quickly, but, um, I mean, how... How did your family react? Last, I promise I'll move on from the, on to happier times. But like, you come home and do you come home and just have to explain the situation? I did. I mean, especially I worried that like you know my my kids would hear it at, you know from other kids at school or something yeah. like that because the news had kind of gotten around you know pretty quickly. Yeah. So I kind of just set them down and you know let them know what happened and you know they were a little worried like what does this mean for us and you know my answer was you know don't worry I'll take care of it. And, it seemed to go all right. Out. Good. So Respawn, 2010, uh, a lot of the team came with you, a lot of them. Uh, there was a, I mean, it was, I don't know if the official numbers were released, but it was a substantial <laughs> portion of them from everything I could find. I recognized a lot of did, people that sent in resumes. It was did, uh, happy times. Did that showing Make you make you feel good? Did that Absolutely. did that that that, lo- that showing of loyalty? Absolutely. Can yeah, you, I mean, how do you? Yeah, I, I don't know how you even process that. It's you know, you, we opened up the company. We had it was just Jason and I. We yeah. started the company. We didn't know what the reaction would be. You know, some of it's based on probably how well Activision was treating the people and what they were doing to try to lock them down. And you know, right. you never know what's going to happen. And for us to get that much interest was yeah, it floored me. So does that? Does that spur a, a wave of, of just ideas? Are you guys all like? I, I would have to think that in that in that sort of strange dark period, but you've you've now birthed this new thing, and is it just is was the energy just more vibrant than ever for you and your team? I would say it was an odd period because I think we never intended to grow that fast, but when you have you know these amazing developers that you worked with, you have this relationship with that want to come with you, yeah. you just, you take them, you know, you're not going to pass that up. I'm not an <laughs> idiot. Um, but we had, you know, a big team. We were like up to 43, 44 people, something like that, you know, in a month. Right. With, so, with no game. With no game yet. No idea, no anything. So it was, okay, now let's all sit down and try to figure out what this game is. And um, you remember those... 42 people or whatever also filed their own lawsuit against Activision. So I think we were all, there was a mixed energy of, you know, this weird lawsuit distraction and this, you know, great energy of, you know, we want to make a game and what those ideas were, you know, ranged all over the board. So there wasn't a, you know, a here's the game we're going to make. It was throw out ideas, argue over it, fight over it and have meetings about the lawsuit on the side over here. And so it was, it was a strange time. Was uh, since you know you, you sort of admitted to uh, a little a little fu mode, Vince from from uh, <laughs> from in, early Infinity Ward, you know, with with uh, 
with Medal of Honor. Were you guys, were the group of you kind of in FU mode when the, when the company started? No, not no. really. I, and I think some of it was just, you know, trying to do something different. We wanted to yeah. stay away. I mean, it's... I mean, it'd be human but, nature if you were. I mean, well, but Call of Duty is like my baby, you know? Yeah. I helped create it. I don't want to see it die. Right. You know? I want to make something different. I want to make something, you know, new and bring a new game to people, so... And that game was Titanfall. Uh, I'm curious, uh, how quickly did, did you and the team hit on, first, the name Respawn, because obviously it's, it's perfect under the circumstances. <laughs> uh, do you remember who specifically thought of it? And then, and then take me to how long it took you guys to hit on the Titanfall concept. Um, we were, Jason and I were kicking names back and forth, and there was a couple, I don't even remember what they were, so don't ask. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I remember some of them, but I won't say it. Um, and then when that one came out, it was just like, yes, that's perfect. Like you said, it just kind of like it hits you like, yeah, that's, that's the name. Yeah. There was no discussion after that point. Well, so and then how about, how about Titanfall itself? Uh, how long were you guys sort of kicking around ideas, and then where does Titanfall come from? I'm always bad with timing on stuff like this. It just kind of all melds together. It was a while. Like yeah. we were, you know, kicking ideas around back and forth. It was probably a year before we really... A, so a year of, you've got 40-something people and no game for a year. Well, we have games, we have things we're trying, we okay. have prototypes, you know, prototypes and, and different things, and, and before we settled on what the core of the game was, though, yeah. Interesting. So uh, let's talk about Titanfall. And that's, because making a new IP, especially these days, is extremely hard. I mean, as you know better than anybody that game budgets are bigger than ever, and it's, uh, you know, people, it's almost... Seemingly to me, a, a little synonymous with film. It's like you're either a either a big budget franchise or you're a little you're a little indie thing, and there's right. not a lot of room in between. So, making a new IP, it's tough to, to get it to catch on. Uh, but you guys did it, and we were very successful. Uh, how do you feel about Titanfall One in hindsight now? As we're recording here on the eve of Titanfall 2's release, um, I love Titanfall One. You know, it's not a perfect game, but there's so much in it that we got to experiment with and kind of try new things. The decision to go multiplayer only was actually, that was a tough one that we kind of did agonize over. I was going to ask you about that next, yeah. yeah. So that was, you know, a decision that we made to try to take that, the story elements and put them in, kind of weave them into, into multiplayer because it was something new. You know, right. it, was, it was that desire to really just express ourselves in a different way. So I think we did that successfully. It's not... It's still not a single-player campaign, so it's great to be able to now bring a new single-player campaign to the table. So right. But. Well, yeah, with with two now, uh, you guys are it's full-blown single-player campaign. Full-blown. Uh, I think a lot of the a lot of gamers, especially maybe younger ones, who maybe they do play Call of Duty every year, they don't realize that the the core crew behind the Call of Duty, you know, they love uh, is is actually. Your crew, and that, that is so. It's really it's your team's first single player campaign in since seven Modern Warfare years? Two, yeah, seven years. So, what uh, you guys uh, seem to have this whatever the secret sauce is to making a good single player or first person shooter campaign, you guys seem to have it because a lot of uh, a lot of games this generation shooters have have either had a real bad one or have actually skipped it altogether and just said forget it. We're just doing multiplayer only. I mean, including. Titanfall One. Uh, so, what, what is what is your secret? What is the secret to making a good? I don't know that there is a secret. Campaign? I think we just were a passionate team, and when we 
have the time to find the right idea and iterate on it and, and experiment and try something new. And it just, you know, it, it's talent, I guess, would be the only secret. We, this, the team here is amazing. I couldn't be more proud of what they've done. What was, so how about, what, what was, let's, let's try and, we'll try and dig into this a little. What was, uh, <laughs> what was Modern Warfare's secret to its, to its campaign being so good? I mean, I have my opinion on it, but, but what's your opinion? What, what do you think as the guy who made it? It's, it's a mix. Like I said, it's the team putting the details into a story that we care about and we believe in. And I don't know. It's just, it's becomes, it's a passion, I think. I think yeah. you have to have the passion for it. So and this uh, team does. So with Titanfall 2, I mean, a, a lot of people will probably watch this after they've already played it. So they'll at least have a basis for it. I haven't played it yet. So uh, I'm, I'm coming at this blind a little bit. But Oh, we should fix that. Well, well we are here, aren't we? <laughs> I, maybe we can. But... Um, What's so? It's really good. That's that's what everybody around here says. So it's uh, a lot to live up to. Yeah, we're not biased at all. <laughs> I would hope you would say you would love it. If you were all like, oh, I hope you like this single player campaign, that would worry me. If you were all just kind of like, well, I hope you like it. But uh, what's what's sort of the new? Is there sort of a, a philosophy that you guys hit on for Titanfall 2's campaign that that is making everybody around here that I've been talking to today super excited? I would say. We built the game around the mechanics because, you know, Titanfall 2 is about that fast, fluid gameplay, that yeah. verticality, the kind of freedom. That makes it hard to make a contained single-player experience. Yeah, a lot of those are they're, they're very linear now. Right. So it's embracing that and making sure that the game doesn't break that and, and building, you know, something, again, just putting the passion into what we believe in and, and the game... the. The way the story and the game and the world just all work around the mechanics so well. I got to ask you. I got to back up a quick second. Ask you about uh, you. You partnered up with Microsoft for Titanfall One. You were a you know, third-party console exclusive, um, and then it, I feel like on if I'm remembering right on Twitter at one point you even seemed surprised that it wasn't <laughs> that Titanfall One wasn't going to come to PS4. Yeah, at, at that was point. unfortunate. So. <laughs> well, what the, happened there? Well, the intention was always, you know, we're a small team. Yeah. New, doing a new IP. Like you said, platform. it's hard. Doing yeah. one platform for launch was always intended. Microsoft, fantastic partner for us. We couldn't have done it without them. So, and I want to get that, clear that out of the yes. way. There was no animosity there. It was just, we always envisioned at some point being able to take it over to, to PlayStation. Didn't happen, but it will now. Because, so, because Titanfall business reasons, I guess. Now, yeah, it was a yeah, deal was just... that EA made with Microsoft. Okay. So, was there any it, thought? It worked in our favor in a lot of ways, so it wasn't you know entirely one sided. Sure. But, but uh, it's now to be able to get it to all the gamers is important to us. You know, we make something that we want as many people as possible to play and experience. I mean, was there any thought given to? Uh, I mean, like we've seen cert- some games uh, are doing. Like here, if you pre-order the new game, here's a, we we brought the old one over to the to whatever the new platform is, and this right. usually the console generation. I mean, have you guys thought about just go ahead and bringing Titanfall 1 over to PS4, now, even you know, to kind of, as like a bonus or a little extra thing for PS4 owners? I believe we are limited in our ability to do that. Gotcha. All right, so back to business, business things. Fair enough. Although, does Titanfall 2 just kind of overwrite? Do you, do you feel like that, that way, actually, that does Titanfall 2 overwrite Titanfall 1? It definitely doesn't overwrite it. It's a different story. Like You don't have to have played Titanfall 1 to enjoy, understand Titanfall 2. It's its own contained story and and everything. So 
and which was important for us, you know, since we hopefully will have a lot of new fans. Uh, was the obviously you know you talked about how you chose to not have it was you know it was a decision to to not have a, a full on single player campaign in Titanfall One. Did, um, do you regret that at all, or, or does that does it still no. feel like everything went the the way you're you're happy yeah, with it I going? Think, I think if we had tried to do a single player campaign back then, we wouldn't have done it as well because we didn't understand or we didn't have a good understanding of how to mold those mechanics into a single-player game that we got post, you know, Titanfall 1 launching. So I don't think the single-player would have been as good had we done it then. Interesting. So I think the way it worked out was perfect. Uh, the, uh, let's see here. What Do you see Titanfall as a trilogy, as a uh, permanent thing that'll just go <laughs> on forever? Do you see it as a, you know, as a TV series, as a feature film? Uh, what, do, what do you kind of hope and dream for it? I mean, we don't have necessarily a trilogy in mind. Um, you always hope when you create something that it's, you know, embraced and that, you know, people will love it for generations to come, you know. So I, I hope we do more of it. You know, we, we probably plan to do more. You know, we have the mobile games as well. Yep. So I would like to see the, the universe live on. I think it's very... Expandable. I think there's a lot we can do with it. There's a lot of great ideas floating around here that I would love to see come to life. Excellent. So well, we'll be here. We'll yeah. be ready for them. A couple more for you, and then I will Absolutely. let you go. I promise, because uh, I'm sure you want to actually go finish your video game. Probably. <laughs> That's uh, people don't. They want you to finish it instead of talk to me. Uh, <laughs> you guys are doing a third-person Star Wars game upstairs right. from where we're sitting. And that news was, was uh, I think, a little unexpected for most gamers because, obviously, your, your uh, crew's background is, not in, is in neither Star Wars nor in third-person right. uh, action games. So I'm kind of curious, who approached who? Did, uh, you know, you obviously have an established business relationship with EA, and they have the Star Wars video game license. So did they bring that to you guys, or, or did you kind of go, hey, wait a minute, we know EA, and they, have a, they got the license, so... Let's, let's uh, hit them up. You know, I was talking to the guys at Bad Robot when they were working on Force Awakens, and they were huge fans of Call of Duty and Allied Assault, and they were, you know, just like pushing, like, you guys need to do a, a Star Wars game. And, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. You know, I grew up with it. It's part of my DNA, yeah. I guess. Um, I brought Stig over um, from, he worked at Sony on God of War. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a huge Star Wars fan. He and I talked about, you know, like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do this Star Wars game? Uh, we talked to EA about it initially. Didn't look like it was going to happen. Hmm. So we actually, you know, moved on. We started creating an original IP with that team. And uh, EA came back, you know, run not that long ago, I guess, a year ago or something, and uh, said, wait a minute, maybe we do want you to do a Star Wars game. And uh, we were able to work it out, and yeah, we couldn't be more excited. Yeah, so it's a great team. Is it? Uh, are are you are you directly involved in that one, or um, Stig is the game director, and you know I'm I'll help out any way I can. Is uh, is that sort of what you envision as the future of Respawn? Is multiple teams, multiple projects, and it doesn't always have to be. You being, you know, super hands-on and, and nose to the grindstone all the time? Yeah, I think, you know, us having the ability for multiple teams for people to maybe 
hey, I've worked on three Titanfall games. I want to go over here and try you know, something new. Yeah. Having an opportunity for people to try out new things, express themselves creatively in a different way, in a different type of game, like you said, third person versus first, right. on a different franchise, maybe you know, grow themselves. You know, if we don't have room for them to grow in their career, maybe they can on another team. So I think having multiple teams is really important for us as a studio as we kind of grow and, and try to embrace more gaming. <laughs> I would have thought that the the bad robot uh, sort of endorsement would have would have carried a lot more weight with when you guys were initially trying to get that Star Wars deal done. Well, it worked out. But in it the worked end, out. So. Yes. Uh, last question I have for you, Vince, and that's as a guy who's built uh, three large video game franchises and counting so far between Medal of Honor, Call of Duty, and Titanfall. Uh, what are you, just what are your goals for the next five to ten years of, of your career? Wow. Um, I think it's just continue to build Respawn into a place where people can express themselves, do something they love, and get rewarded well for it, and, and have growth, and, and have the studio just be an amazing place to work. Like I, I want our, the studio to be something that people are proud to come here every day to. Vince, thank you so much for, uh, for inviting us down. It's, uh, it's, a pleasure. Pleasure. it's always a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, the game is out. Uh, Titanfall 2 may be out now, depending on when you're watching this, but October 28th, October 28th. 2016 is the date. We look forward to playing uh, the first single-player campaign from your crew in, in quite some time, and, of course, the evolution of Titanfall multiplayer. So, uh, Vince, thanks again. And for much more from the best, brightest, most interesting, fascinating folks in the video game industry, such as Vince Zampella. Uh, be sure to stay tuned each and every month for a new episode of IGN Unfiltered. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.